BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Obscurities. I'm Debbie Rashawn. Speculation regarding the existence of intelligent life outside of our planet, or even outside of our entire solar system, dates back as far as humankind itself. For as long as man could look up at the stars and question the infinite beyond and the existence of God, we have also asked, what else is possibly out there? These eternal questions reached a new height of collective curiosity in 1947 when the United States Air Force, known at the time as the Army Air Forces, found the debris of a reported flying disc in Roswell Army Airfield in New Mexico. This report was quickly retracted, stating that the debris was merely a weather balloon. But this never sat well with Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Jesse Marcel. He was there during the debris retrieval. In 1978, Marcel met a former nuclear physicist named Stanton Friedman, who had become obsessed with the existence of UFOs. Confiding in Friedman, and with Marcel now long retired from the military with nothing to hide, he made his first statements on record that what he retrieved debris from was no weather balloon, and that the Army's original statement of this being a UFO was indeed the case. As Friedman learned more, he was convinced that what our government was telling us was a massive cover-up of cosmic Watergate proportions. These stories piqued the public's interest, and during the 1980s, UFO and alien speculation grew exponentially. Curiosity about government involvement with extraterrestrial life soared to new heights once the public became aware of a top-secret facility in the Nevada desert, mysteriously known as Area 51. Make no mistake, Area 51 is no joke. Try to get in, and you'll be greeted by armed personnel guarding this massive space fenced off from the public. Aircraft are ordered not to come near this no-fly zone, and if they try, they will no doubt be seen by 24-hour surveillance and swiftly be shot down without question. How did the public even become aware of Area 51, though? The government has all sorts of top-secret land restricted from the public, some of which we've even covered on other podcast episodes. So how did the connection between this secured plot of land and extraterrestrial life come to light? There is one man that you can point to for much of this, a scientist by the name of Robert Scott Lazar. Bob Lazar was born in Coral Gables, Florida in 1959. Since early adolescence, his mother will tell you that Bob was fascinated with chemistry, computers, explosives, technologies, and all things science. 
He was bright but mischievous, and his curiosity led him to experiment with and discover all sorts of wild things in various fields of his interest, like fireworks and bike engines. After high school, Bob attended the Pierce Junior College in Los Angeles. His life after that, however, is where things get downright bizarre. According to Lazar, after earning his bachelor's, he went to the prestigious Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, for his master's in physics. He then earned another master's in electronic technology from the California Institute of Technology, better known as Caltech. From there, according to Lazar, he was hired as a physicist at Los Alamos Mison Physics Facility during the early 1980s, which was part of the Los Alamos National Laboratory, a U.S. Department of Energy-run lab, most well-known for its development of nuclear weapons during World War II. During this period, Lazar met one of these men responsible for developing the hydrogen bomb, Edward Teller. Lazar said that he kept Teller's contact information, but didn't decide to send him a resume until six years later in 1988. Things accelerated from there, as Lazar recalls, Teller calling him back and telling him about the government-operated program at Area 51. According to Lazar's claims, Teller let Lazar know that he no longer worked there, but he would share a reference with him that urged him to call if he wanted to be part of the program. It documented that Lazar had fallen on hard times two years before filing for bankruptcy, so he was probably interested in the government paycheck and undoubtedly curious about the program, so he jumped at the opportunity. Shortly after, Lazar flew to Las Vegas and then was driven in an unmarked black bus to S-4, a top-secret facility located within Area 51. Bob was hired from there by the facility in December of 1988. Upon entering Area 51, Lazar was in awe of the technology, convinced it to be otherworldly. Rather than a traditional work ID, employees were granted access to the area via a biometric scanner measuring the length of one's finger bones. Once Bob got briefed on what he would be doing at Area 51, he was amazed. Bob was hired to replace someone who had a fatal accident with the reactors, and the government felt Bob had sufficient expertise to examine these same pieces of equipment. These reactors were unlike anything ever encountered, and according to Bob, they could do the unthinkable, create gravity. A gravity-creating machine would change the world in every conceivable way that we think of today ranging from everyday travel to outer space travel and could eliminate the need for fossil fuels and other planet-destroying energy sources. Not only was this technology from outside this planet, but Bob contended that it was from outside our entire solar system. Lazar will state that this technology is from ZR3, or the Zeta Reticuli Star System, located 39.3 light-years from Earth. These gravity field creators, which could be switched on and off, ran off the chemical element Moscovium. Moscovium would be put into the center of the reactors and create antimatter. 
there were nine of these massive devices, all different, around 52 feet in diameter each. Bob was hired to reverse engineer and try to replicate this alien technology using Earth materials. Additionally, what Bob encountered at Area 51 were UFO test flights which took place every Wednesday. The saucers were strategically flown on this day when the least traffic would occur, keeping them off the radar to civilians. Due to the nature of his work, Lazar was ordered not to tell anyone about his job, including his wife, Joy. Bob was made aware that the government would monitor all of his phone conversations to verify this behavior. Still, Bob's irregular work schedule and secrecy led Joy to believe that he was having an affair. His tapped phones revealed to his supervisors that Joy was actually involved in an affair from her private phone conversations dialed from their home. During this time period, Bob found it too hard to keep all of this extraterrestrial information to himself and began driving friends out to the facility on Wednesday nights to see these spacecraft flown for themselves. On the third time inviting people to the desert, Bob was caught, and he was let go from the program shortly afterward. Lazar met a reporter from CBS affiliate KLAS-TV out of Las Vegas named George Knapp. Using a pseudonym under the name Dennis, Bob Lazar granted Knapp an interview, revealing the same information outlined so far in this episode of Obscurities, citing that he felt the public should be aware of it. His only condition for the interview was that his face not be revealed. George Knapp's interview with Dennis, or Bob Lazar, not only would become the highest-rated Las Vegas news piece ever, but it was shortly became a worldwide mega-sensation. The interview would get bootlegged, shown in movie theaters, and amazingly even broadcast throughout parts of Europe and Japan. Exactly what's going on up there? Well, there's several, uh, actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying disks, uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. And uh, they're basically being dismantled. Uh, some are, well, in various stages of, of completion, built from other parts, and they're being test flown and uh, uh, basically just analyzed. All of this was in May of 1989, when it was unheard of, long before widespread Internet use. There was one problem, however, and it was of enormous concern. Upon further investigation, none of what Bob said could be verified, literally none of it at all. In fact, at first glance, much of it even seemed to be disproven. The U.S. government denied employing any person by the name of Robert Lazar. Los Alamos had no record of an employee by that name, and neither MIT nor Caltech had any record of this being a student at any point either. George Knapp, however, truly believed Lazar's story and was determined to find proof. What Knapp uncovered was remarkable. A 1982 phone book from Los Alamos National Laboratory listed Lazar as an employee for the Science and Technician Department. Additionally uncovered, also in 1982, the Los Angeles Monitor featured Lazar on its front page with his photo in a story titled, L.A. Man Joins the Jet Set at 200 Miles an Hour, Spotlighting an Extraordinary 
hydrogen-filled engine he created for his Corvette. This engine was simply an experiment that the brilliant Lazar was working on away from the office, much like he had always done since his days growing up in Florida. Right there in black and white, the article cited Lazar as a physicist for Los Alamos. Lazar even claims that this article spotlighting his creation is how he met the World War II scientist Edward Teller. Teller, however, later refused to answer the question if he knew Lazar in an interview for the short film UFOs in Area 51, the Bob Lazar video, and excerpts from the government Bible. Lazar was additionally able to produce pay stubs from 1989 made out to him by the U.S. Department of Naval Intelligence, which are seen in the same short film he produced in 1992 with Gene Huff. The video is still readily available today. However, any evidence of his schooling at MIT or Caltech never surfaced. Lazar, to this day, combats the lack of evidence for this, emphatically stating that there is no way such a significant facility like Los Alamos would ever hire him right out of a high school or junior college. In the follow-up interview with Knapp for KLAS-TV, now revealing his full identity, Lazar states, They're trying to make me a non-person. This apparent cover-up is almost comparable to the deplatforming that goes on today, but more severe in Bob's case, and about 15 years prior to the event of social media. Things got even scarier for Lazar when his own mother seemed to no longer be able to produce his own birth certificate. His colleagues were suddenly audited by the IRS, and he found himself victim of several FBI raids. In 1990, Lazar was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. And in 2006, Lazar and his wife were charged with shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. Regardless of the more profound circumstances behind these arrests, even when speaking with police, Lazar would always maintain the same version of his story regarding his history at Area 51 and everything leading up to it. Although UFO subculture and attempts by civilians to infiltrate Area 51 remained constant in the years following Lazar blowing the whistle on these projects, Bob Lazar kept out of the spotlight for almost 25 years. He had no interest in attaining fame or any riches from his discovery and continues his work in laboratories out of the public eye. In fact, Lazar, on several occasions, regretted coming forward, especially with the number of people over the years trying to track him down for various reasons. Bob had no aspirations of being any kind of a celebrity. George Knapp, however, kept in touch with Lazar and maintained that Bob's story was 100% credible. Knapp's fame from these original interviews with Lazar also led him to leave the TV news business to join the extraterrestrial and paranormal show Coast to Coast AM. In 2003, a new element, element 115, or Moscovidium, was added to the periodic table. Lazar maintains that this is the same element used to fuel the gravity field creators, which he was tasked to reverse engineer. In more recent years, a filmmaker named Jeremy Corbell approached Lazar about producing a documentary.
Taking a liking to Jeremy, Bob granted him access rarely given to anyone over the course of the 30 years other than George Knapp. In the film released in 2018, Bob Lazar, Area 51 in Flying Saucers, Corbell even finds some other points of vindication for the scientist that even Lazar himself was unaware of. Through his investigation, Corbell discovered online a hand-scanning device now declassified from a separate secret government project run out of Nellis Air Force range. When he shows these images to Lazar in the film, to Bob's amazement, he confirms that these are indeed the same devices used to gain access to S-4 and that Bob never thought he'd ever see them again. Lazar agreed to go on the Joe Rogan experience with Jeremy Corbell to promote the film. Although Lazar was reluctant to do so, hearing how Rogan had been a fan of Lazar for over 30 years made him consider speaking with the famous podcast host. The interview tapped into many different in-depth stories, including that, off the record, every single person who came with Lazar to see the UFO tests in the Nevada desert corroborated the story exactly how Lazar told it. Video footage exists of these tests. However, the low-resolution recording technology of the time makes it very unconvincing, even admittedly by Lazar himself. The Rogan interview racked up a fantastic nearly 20 million plays on YouTube alone and probably many more millions on the podcast audio platforms. However, Lazar made it very clear he is not seeking fame or recognition. Every dollar he's ever made speaking about this phenomena is donated to various schools and science programs. Only three months following the Rogan interview, a massive movement was formed online to storm Area 51 with slogans like, They Can't Stop All of Us. The raid in September of 2019 ended up being nothing more sinister than a fun gathering with music and plenty of alcohol once the attendees became aware of just how serious the federal and local law enforcement were regarding security measures. Also, in these recent years, there's been more talk about the government uncovering classified documents for public to view, drawing significant interest from all kinds of notable people, including the co-founder of the famous pop-punk band Blink-182, Tom DeLonge. In 2015, DeLong left the band to actually do his own UFO and paranormal investigations, which wasn't a surprise to fans who knew extraterrestrial life was a significant interest of DeLong's from various interviews, and even from the band's song, Aliens Exist, from their best-selling album, Enema of the State. One thing is for certain, interest in alien life UFOs, and of course, S-4 and Area 51 aren't going away. If it weren't for Bob Lazar, the public likely wouldn't be aware of much regarding these secret programs. You can dismiss Lazar's story, but with more statements that he made proving to be accurate, he'd have to be pulling off an extremely elaborate hoax to fake everything uncovered. The motive of the very private Lazar to get this information, or possible misinformation, out there is also very unclear. 
Watch Bob Lazar on film, and he is a very timid but undeniably bright man. Much of this is why Bob Lazar seems so much more believable than the more eccentric and flamboyant characters in this community who boast of alien encounters. Feel free to go down the rabbit hole of media out there featuring or about Bob Lazar, but as he insists, please do not go to his home or try to contact him. He's not interested. <laughs>